We're going to look at a thought that I hope today will bless your heart. I hope as we go through this, it's going to seem like a really hard message. But as we work our way through this, my hope and my desire is for you to experience sweet deliverance today. That's my desire. Uh, I don't know about you. I was sharing with a few of our men this morning, and I, I don't have this written into my notes. I just want to get personal with you for a, mo- a moment because I believe that's what God would have me to do. But I have, I have been under some stress of late, and, and uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I know the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the Lord. And I wish I could tell you that this preacher never, ever faces anxiety. I wish I could tell you that my mind is always just a, a, a place where unicorns jump around and prance through gardens of roses, okay? But that's just not the case. There are times that I become weighted down, stressed out, anxious about what's going on around me. And as I've watched different things unfold in our world... In the last few weeks, as I've watched different things happen uh, in terms of economy, in terms of prices of things, in terms of the number of children that I have and their future, in terms of where we're at in our process as a family, in terms of where we're at as a church, in terms of some of the hardships that our church members are facing right now. In terms of some of the struggles that we're going through. In terms of the sickness that we have all been dealing with. I'll be honest, it's been a bit overwhelming. I would be less than sincere with you this morning if I didn't tell you that I have personally been weighted down over this last little bit. But I am thankful. I am thankful this morning for the sweet deliverance that I find in Christ. I've not talked this out with my wife yet, but I'm going to guess. I'm just going to go ahead and guess that my wife probably noticed a serious difference in me from Wednesday to Thursday this week. I hadn't sang at the house in a while. And all of a sudden, Thursday, I was singing. I had a, a pep in my step. I was excited about life again. So, preacher, what in the world happened that changed the course for you from Wednesday to Thursday. Well, I was reminded of the truth that I want to share with you this morning. That I hope will be as much of a help to you as it was to me. Let's look here at Galatians chapter number 1. I know we don't have much time this morning, but we'll work through this as much as we can, and I know you'll be patient with me. Galatians chapter number 1, beginning at verse number 3, and we'll read down through verse number 5. I, I was reading this week, and I'll tell you, every once in a while, a passage of Scripture will just leap off the page at me, and that was the case with this one. Listen closely as I read Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, Grace be to you. And peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you are aware of everything that the church at Galatia is going through here now. I don't know if you're aware of what hardships and struggles the disciples of Jesus Christ are facing at this time. I don't know if you're fully aware of the persecutions they were enduring, of the imprisonment, of the beatings, of the threatenings, 
of the hardships that they were enduring. But let me tell you, this was not a time of peace for the Christian. This was not a time that grace was going to go very far. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul starts off his greeting to the church at Galatia by saying, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I like that, but it's the next verse that got me excited. The Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you bless now as we enter into your word. Father, I pray today that you would help me to say just exactly what you want me to say. And Lord, as your word goes out, I pray that every single heart of every single person in this room would be prepared and ready for your sweet Holy Spirit to move in them and bring them back close to your side. Lord, accomplish your will today in our lives. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, the curse of sin has had such a profound impact on our world. You know, with just a couple of exceptions right off the bat, every, I want you to think of this, every single person that has ever lived has been dominated, overcome, and ultimately destroyed as a result of sin. The Bible tells us that Death is a direct result of sin in our world. It is the, the greatest consequence of sin's curse in our world today. As I've thought about it, you think about pain and suffering, death and injustice, sorrow and loss, stress and anxiety, immorality and abuse. These are just a few of the foes that we fight in our world today, and they all have one thing in common. They were all conceived in sin and are a direct result of sin's curse. But you know, we're living in a time where sin is minimized. We don't talk about it very much. We don't preach it from the pulpits. We don't emphasize it. In fact, we do the exact opposite of emphasizing sin. We minimize sin. And sin has been minimized to the point that it no longer even bears the responsibility of all its evil and sinister offspring. You say, preacher, what are you getting at here? Well, I just gave you a list of a number of different things that we face in our world. But when was the last time we really blamed all those things on the real root cause, which is sin? For example, when it comes to pain and suffering, somehow, somehow, that is no longer sin's fault. I don't know how Satan did such a good job at twisting this around. But now, for some reason, in our minds and in our hearts, pain and suffering have become God's fault. God did that. Death and injustice have become the politician's fault. Sorrow and loss have become the doctor's fault. Stress and anxiety have become the news's fault. Immorality and abuse have become the past's fault. And I could just go on and on and on. 
all these evil, sinister offspring of sin, somehow we no longer attribute them to their root cause of sin, but instead we say it's this person's fault, that person's fault, this person did that or that person did this. Before you know it, sin bears no responsibility whatsoever. Others sin and my sin alike. Why does the devil work overtime to convince the world that everything and everyone else is to blame for all of our problems? Have you ever wondered that? I think it's a powerful question. Because we're living in a day where that is the thing. Like if you want to know where counseling starts, counseling in the world, in the secular world, it begins by trying to figure out who's to blame for all your problems. And so a lot of questions are asked. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your young adult years. Tell me about how things were in high school. Tell me about how you were bullied. Tell me about this. And listen, I am not minimizing not one single one of those things. What I don't want to do is I don't want to overlook the root cause. The reality is every single injustice that's ever been done to you, every single sorrow you have faced, every single uh, time that you have been uh, inundated by stress or anxiety, I believe in every single situation we can trace every one of those back to the same thing every time. And that is sin. So why does the devil work so hard to convince us otherwise? Well, I could have come up with two reasons. I'm sure there's a lot more than two reasons, but I'm going to give you the two reasons I've come up with. Reason number one. If all our problems can be traced back to one source, then perhaps the solution to that one great problem could just as simply be traced back to one great solution. What we might call one great deliverer from that one great problem. I believe that's the first reason why Satan works so hard to convince us that everything and everyone else is to blame for all of our problems. Because if all of our problems came from one place, then perhaps just one person could overcome our one great problem. I think there's a second reason. Reason number two, to minimize sin and its curse is to minimize Christ and his sacrifice. I think this is the ultimate reason. When we stop preaching about sin, when we stop dwelling upon sin, when we stop blaming sin, then all of a sudden when the Bible makes claims like we find here in Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 4, where it says, "...who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father." When the Bible makes claims like that, We think, well, that's great. Sure glad he did that. And that's all the emotional attachment we have to that kind of a verse. But when we understand that every problem, every every injustice, every trial that we faced, every death that we have experienced in our families or in our in our attached lives, everything we've ever been through that was hard for us to face finds its beginning at sin. We know that the world wasn't created in sin. It was created in holiness and righteousness. Sin entered through man. A decision was made to break the law of God and then sin came. And sin now has passed on to all men 
We all bear the weight of the curse. What is our greatest need in light of this? Deliverance. Deliverance from this great enemy of sin. But you might ask the question, how is this to take place? It's to take place by the sweet deliverance that is offered in Jesus Christ. Death, in fact, has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But what I am thankful for this morning is that the Bible tells us of one great deliverer. Who alone has the power and the ability to take down our greatest enemy? That enemy, of course, being sin. And so the title of this morning's sermon, and I'll get to the end of the sermon and I'll explain to you why this is the title. The title of this morning's sermon is The Enemy of Our Enemy. The Enemy of Our Enemy. I want you to start by looking with me at Psalm chapter 25. Hold your place there. In Galatians chapter number 1, because we're going to be flipping back and forth between Galatians chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 25 all morning long. These two passages go beautifully hand in hand, and uh, I believe it's, it's what God has for us today. So look at Psalm chapter number 25 with me. And uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning. We're going to read down through <coughs> the better part of this chapter. Just follow along with me as I read. Psalm chapter number 25, verse number 1. I want you to notice or highlight the number of times that the word sin or sinful or transgression or iniquity is spoken here in this chapter. Okay? Verse number 1, Psalm chapter 25. It says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses. For they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great." What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain. Listen to this phrase. And forgive. Forgive. All my sins. Consider mine enemies for they are many. And they hate me with cruel hatred. You know we look at David's life and we consider all that he's been through. And the fact that he has been hunted like an animal for the better part of his adult life at this point. And, 
And although I understand that when he refers to his enemies and the things that he's facing, he is talking about physical enemies, people that are trying to kill him. But I find it is no coincidence that over and over again as he's referring to enemies, as he's referring to to difficulties and hardships and struggles and the pain of life, along with that, he's over and over again talking to God about being a sinner, being sinful, needing forgiveness of his sins, forgiveness of his transgressions, for they are great. And I believe what we find, what we come to the conclusion of, is that really David's greatest enemy is not the men that are chasing him down trying to take his life. David's greatest enemy is sin. And I think if we read this and consider what he's asking God for in this prayer, we begin to see what all sin does in us and why it is such an enemy to you and I. And so that's the first thing I'm going to look at this morning is that sin is our enemy, not Jesus. Sin is our enemy. Why do I say that with such confidence this morning? Well, because of all that sin does. And I want to just take some time. I'm not going to expound on these a whole lot. We just read these passages of Scripture. But all I did is I took what David prays here. I considered each time he brought up the word sin. And I thought, okay, he's asking God for this because sin has done that. And by doing this, we come up with 11 different things in this passage alone that sin does as an enemy of us. First of all, sin causes shame, doesn't it? Sin causes a lot of shame. And I don't want to just push that to the side. I want to think about that for a minute. I want to dwell on that this morning for just a moment, that sin does cause shame. Why? Because sin is shameful. It is a breaking of God's expectation. It is a disobedience to God's law. And therefore, sin causes great shame. Number two, sin steals away our youth, doesn't it? I hope it didn't steal yours. Maybe it did. Wait till the end of the sermon and I've got something to tell you. But I hope, I hope and pray if you're here and you... You know Christ is your Savior and you're still in your youth like I am. I'm going to try to hold on to that as long as I can, okay? So just bear with me. If you're still in your youth, don't let sin steal your youth from you. But most adults in this room today would admit, yeah, sin steal away some of my youth. Sin causes shame. It steals away our youth. It hijacks our lives. You know, it's interesting. Once we dabble in sin, isn't it amazing how fast sin takes complete control? We literally let, we let sin grab a hold of the wheel so we can do something over here for a minute. Before we know it, we're over in the passenger seat and sin's driving. Sin hijacks our lives. Sin multiplies quickly. Just when we think that, that sin is just a little part of our lives, we blink and all of a sudden, sin's everywhere. Sin captures souls and drags them to a Christless hell. Sin causes loneliness. Sin causes depression. Sin overwhelms hearts. Sin instigates trouble in our lives. Sin causes turmoil. Sin destroys sinners. And for these reasons and many more, sin, sin is our great enemy. 
The question this morning is, can anyone deliver us from so great an enemy? Think about it. Sin has taken every single life. It's ruined every single person in some way, shape, or form. It has touched every life to ever live except one. I want to look for a moment at the enemy of sin. See, sin is our enemy. But what I want to know this morning is who is sin's enemy? Well, we find that back in Galatians chapter number 1. Turn back there with me. Hold your place in Psalm 25 because we'll be back there to close. But look at Galatians chapter number 1 with me again. Who is sin's enemy? Sin really only has one great enemy. And we'll get to that in a minute. But there are a lot of different answers to that question as we make our way to the the ultimate answer of who is sin's great enemy. Grace, first and foremost, grace is sin's enemy. Grace is sin's enemy. It says there in verse number 3, grace be to you. These are people who who are undergoing severe consequences of sin in their lives. Both of their sin at times and the sins of the people around them. They're undergoing severe consequences from a sinful world and grace steps in and ultimately dissolves sin's cruelty. That's what grace does. Grace dissolves sin's cruelty. It's amazing to me. I got a chance to preach in a... I preached in a... um, down at Henryville Correctional Facility back when I was about 18 years old. Uh, I had driven by there one day and I had seen this and I just felt... I might have been a little older than that, maybe... 20 years old, I just felt compelled as I drove by to try to preach there. I, it's hard to explain. I just I was driving by and I saw Henryville Correctional Facility and it was like God said, preach there. I said, okay. So I called Henryville Correctional Facility a couple days later. I said, hey, I didn't know if there was any chance of... This is way down in southern Indiana. I said, I didn't know if there's any chance of me getting a chance to maybe preach something there. I, I, I just feel like God wants me to. Guy said, hey, I don't know why not. All we got to do is set up a time and we'll, we'll get it announced and you come on in. And so I, I began to study and, and, and prepare for that sermon. And I go down to, and of course, I'm a young man. My father-in-law, my grandfather-in-law, they both came with me, John and, and Dwayne. And they came down there with me and we, we spent some time praying on our way and talking on our way. Just a tremendous time. But I'll tell you what amazed me. I walked into a building and I looked on the faces of these these inmates, and I could see that sin had been cruel to these men. It had captured their lives, it had ruined their lives, and there's no doubt in my mind, it had captured the lives of all the people around them and ruined their lives as well. And as I looked into their eyes, and I looked into their faces, you know what I really saw? I saw a group of about 30 or 40 men who needed the grace of Jesus. Because sin had been cruel to them. And so in fact, I spent some time on sin and then I spent most of my time on grace. Every one of those men knew they were sinners already before I walked in the building. And so I talked to him about grace because I knew the grace of Christ was all that would be able to dissolve sin's cruelty in their lives. And wouldn't you know that's exactly what God did. As the preaching of God's Word went on, I looked in their eyes and I saw something different than when I walked in. No longer did I see men who had been broken down by sin's cruelty. But as the grace of the Lord Jesus was preached to them, I saw men who were touched by the love of the Savior. 
So grace is sin's enemy. Peace is also sin's enemy. Why? Because it ultimately breaks sin's chain. You know, sin tries to bind us in guilt and shame and sorrow and depression and loneliness. That's what sin does. You want to know where all that comes from? Hopefully that opens your eyes a little bit. And it's, again, it's not always your sin personally. A lot of times it can be. Sometimes it's sin that others have committed against you that causes that. No doubt about it. But regardless, it all boils back down to sin being the great enemy. Peace breaks up those chains of guilt and shame and sorrow and loneliness and depression and anxiety and stress. All of a sudden, the peace of God steps into the situation. And where all of those things were present now, it's being dominated by a sweet, unimaginable peace. He says, grace be to you in peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is also sin's enemy. Because it justifies sin's captives. See, in verse number uh, four there, it says, who, listen to this phrase, who gave, it's talking about Jesus Christ. It says, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself. Who gave himself for our sins. Sacrifice is sin's enemy because as long as there is no sacrifice, sin is just to hold its captives. But the moment that someone perfect and upright steps in and sacrifices themselves, it no longer allows sin to hold its captives. That sacrifice justifies sin's captives and frees them. We come to only one conclusion. If grace is sin's enemy and peace is sin's enemy and sacrifice is sin's enemy, then there is only one person who we can qualify to be sin's greatest enemy. His name is Jesus. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 2. You're just literally a couple pages away. Turn to the right, about three pages in your Bible, and you'll be at Ephesians chapter number 2. And I want to show us that He is the grace of God to man. He is our peace and He is the ultimate sacrifice. And for this reason, sin is shattered and destroyed by this great deliverer. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. The Bible says that in the ages to come, He... Christ might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, listen to this, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. I don't have time to break out this passage of Scripture like I wanted to, but what we find in verses 7 through verse 10 is that He is the one that God gave to humanity. You talk about the ultimate form of grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In verses 11 through 14, we find that He is our peace. No longer is there distance between us and God. We are at peace with God because we have been justified by the blood of the Lamb. And then He is the ultimate sacrifice. He did not just come sent from God to teach us great things. He did not just come from God to show us how to live. He did not just come from God to tell us what was to come in the future. He came from God to die for our sins. According to the scriptures, Jesus is sin's great enemy. Finally, this morning, I want us to consider one last thought to close. Have you ever heard this phrase before? The enemy of your enemy is your friend. Have you ever heard that before? Shake your head if you've heard that before. Okay, there's a handful of you. I want you to think about it then. Since not everybody's heard that phrase before, I've heard that a lot in my life. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. Okay? For you football fans out there, you might use this whenever you're reaching into the playoff season. Okay? You may not ordinarily like the Jacksonville Jaguars, but if they can defeat the Texans, that might work good for your team. For those of you that can't stand NFL Typologies, then I'll use this as an example. And what I'm really getting at this morning. Sin is your enemy. Sin is your enemy. You see, preacher, why are you bringing this up? Because there are a lot of people this morning that have some kind of a misconception that Jesus is their enemy. They've convinced themselves that Jesus is to blame for all the troubles they've had in their life. And they might have walked into this building really mad at God. Mad at God because he killed their grandma. Mad at God because he sent COVID. Mad at God because wars break out. Mad at God because of this. Mad at God because of that. And all the while, you were aiming your indignation at the wrong enemy. You know the root cause of all the things I just threw out at you is sin, not Jesus. And I want you to understand something this morning. Your great enemy, which is sin, you know who sin's greatest enemy is? It's Jesus. And so in the purest and most magnificent of ways, I can tell you this morning that while you thought Jesus was your enemy, in reality, Jesus is the great enemy of your real enemy, which makes Jesus what? Your friend. Get a hold of that this morning. 
Say, preacher, how can you say that? Well, I'm just going to read these off to you. This comes from back. I don't have time to break it down like I wanted to. But it comes out of Psalm chapter number 25. When you break that chapter down, you find that sin suppresses our souls. Jesus lifts up our souls. Sin causes shame. Jesus bore our shame. Sin leads to destruction. Jesus leads to salvation. Sin enslaves us while Jesus loves us. Sin ruins young people. Jesus rescues them. Sin engulfs in guilt while Jesus forgives all iniquity. Sin causes mental and emotional distress while Jesus provides us with peace and joy and hope. Sin traps lost souls for all eternity. Christ delivers lost souls for all eternity. Sin destines multitudes to hell. And Jesus, by His grace and by faith in His name, welcomes multitudes into heaven. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. In closing, I want us to consider one last time Galatians chapter number 1. I know we're past time, but I want you to look at Galatians chapter number 1 with me this morning. Just a few pages back to your left there, Galatians chapter number 1. You see, Christ alone is able to deliver us from sin and its evil influences and impact in us and in our world. We live in an evil world. I don't think that our minds can even begin to comprehend the kind of evil that we are facing in our world today. I look around and I see different things happening. I see different connections. I see different things. And I'm just astounded by how seared the consciences of certain people and groups have become. What we need is deliverance. And I praise God that verse number 4 of Galatians chapter number 1 says this, Who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us. Us who trust Him. Us who have placed our faith in Him. That He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see pain, (coughs) suffering, death, Injustice, sorrow, loss, stress, anxiety, immorality, abuse. They are all the cause of sin, but praise God, they can all be conquered by Christ. The question this morning then is, how do we access such sweet deliverance? Psalm 25, verse 20. Turn back there with me. I told you we'd be back and forth, back and forth. And I held off these last three verses intentionally because within these three verses comes the answer of how we experience the sweet deliverance that's offered in Jesus. Look at Psalm chapter 25, verse 20. To those who are are in turmoil, to those who are behind enemy lines, who are still held captive by sin, I tell you, the first thing you must do is allow your soul to rest in Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. You've got to stop trying to work your way to heaven. You've got to stop trying to work your way out of sin. It's never going to work. I tried it. For years and years and years, I tried to work my way out of my own sin. And you know what was interesting? It was like quicksand. The harder I worked to get out, the further down I sunk. Until one day someone by the shape of a cross dropped down something in front of me and for the first time ever I realized that I couldn't work my way out of sin's quicksand but I had to grab a hold of something else and He would pull me out. 
His name is Jesus. You must rest in Christ. Number two, you must trust in Christ. Believing that He died as a sacrifice for you, was buried, and that three days later He was gloriously resurrected from the grave. Look at the end of verse 20. It says, For I put my trust in Thee. I put my trust in Thee. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you today, I urge you to rest in Christ, to trust in Christ, to stop trying to get there on your own, stop trying to get out on your own. It will never work. For there is only one person who's ever overcome sin. And what you must do is place your life in His hands to get you out. And then for the Christian today, who has been feeling the effects of sin's curse. We have, haven't we? I mean, can we just get honest for a minute? Have you not been stressed? Have you not felt anxiety creeping in? Have you not been scared? Fearful? Overwhelmed? Wondering how you're going to be a good parent in a world like this? How you're going to raise good kids in a world like this? Have you not felt all that like I have? I know you have. And so you say, preacher, how in the world? Because I'm just being honest with you this morning. I was getting overwhelmed by this come Wednesday. And I mean, it was, it was a couple months in coming. But I was getting overwhelmed by this. And then suddenly I realized on Wednesday night, going into uh, Thursday morning, God got a hold of my heart and showed me something. That the same person who delivered me from sin then is the same person who delivers me from sin and its curse right now. And in every generation, no matter how dark, no matter how bright, no matter how trying, no matter how easy, in every generation, Christ has always been the great deliverer from sin. And my children will need a deliverer just like I needed a deliverer. And I praise God that Christ is infinite, that He is immutable, that He never changes, that He is faithful, that He is here with me. That He is the great enemy of my greatest enemy. And so for those Christians here that have been overwhelmed by all these things, I tell you this morning, you've got to stay in Christ. Verse 21 says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The word, wait on thee. Do you see that there in verse 21? It says, For I wait on thee. The word, wait there. Those of you that ever, ever styled hair before, Morgan, you're going to like this. You ready for this? Anybody that's ever done this before, to wait on thee, it means to bind together by braiding. That's what it means. It means to be tied together, to be, to be bound together by braiding and, and twisting something around. That's literally what the word means. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? If you're getting overwhelmed, if you're getting down, downhearted, you have got to bind your life to Christ. That's the only way through. There are many, many who have thought for so long that Jesus is their enemy This is a lie. Sin is the enemy and its curse has been devastating. The good news, sin has an all-powerful enemy and his name is Jesus Christ. And to those who have never trusted Christ, it's time you realize today that the enemy of your enemy is actually your friend and his name is Jesus. And to the Christian, it's time that we magnify Christ for his power to conquer sin and to live in the joy and the peace and the victory that is ours through this great sin destroyer.